Right, well today if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to the book of Luke, chapter 7, and we'll start with verse 16. And today we are going to see um, Jesus' popularity growing, and we will see John the Baptist seeking some reassurance from God. From Jesus. And what I find interesting about this is that John the Baptist was someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, and yet he still needed reassurance. And what a blessing it is for us to have this story here to know that it is not weakness to need reassurance from God. It is honesty, it is humanity, but it is not something we should be ashamed of. So we're going to start reading um, at uh, John chapter 7, verse 16, and we'll start out by reading through verse 23. And there came fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, that a great prophet is risen up among us. And the rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him all these things. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men had come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. Um, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. So, in our previous message, we ended with the raising from the dead of a widow's son. And there's a lot of miracles where you could say, well, uh, maybe it was a miracle, but maybe he wasn't that sick. Or maybe he wasn't as bad as we thought he was. So it could be considered in the way that man uh, processes thoughts to somehow say that it's not as much of a miracle as maybe we thought. But in this last miracle that we saw last time, Jesus walks up to a casket with a dead boy in it. He touches the boy and tells him to rise. We can be assured that he was dead, and we can be assured that he rose from the dead. So this is one of those miracles that they might not like it, but they can't deny it. And so what happens in the aftermath is fear and glorifying God. 
And so his popularity is rising. And John, who has already at this point said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, because he said this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's starting to have some doubts. And my first point today, and my message title, by the way, Jesus' popularity grows and John seeks reassurance. I think I mentioned that. But my first point today is that John asks an honest question and gets an answer. In my time with the, with the Kent County Jail, doing chapel services, which is um, 13 years this month, there are uh, many different personalities and different types of people that come through that jail. And sometimes we get questions about the Bible. And when, the, when there's a sincere question asked, I love to be able to give them an answer. Or even sometimes to be honest with them and let them know that I do not know. But there's also certain people that will come into the jail and they will, they will ask questions not to receive an answer, but to disrupt the service and to hopefully as an agent of their father, the devil, prevent us from sharing the gospel. And there was a time a couple months ago where we literally had to shut someone down and go on with the service, and they were mad, and they stormed out of the service. It doesn't happen very often, but in that particular case, we knew that he was a scoffer, that he was just trying to disrupt the service. And so that's how we had to deal with it. But as Jesus' popularity is growing, as he's doing um, these miracles, John still has questions. And he asks out of a humble heart, seeking a real answer. And so Jesus gives him one. And he says... Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. To the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he who shall not be offended of me. Remember, John had gone through a lot for the gospel. He was a very unpopular guy. First of all, he was called out from his household to the wilderness. We don't know how that whole transition took place or how old he was or, or all that being said. We know from the scriptures that he was about six months older than Jesus. But at some point he had to leave his parents and go into the wilderness and prepare to preach the word of God. And he preached a very un popular message and he and he told it like it was much like Jesus he even he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers now most of us unless endowed by a specific um, brand of grace for a specific time and place we would not call anyone a brood of vipers but God knew that that was what needed to be delivered and John delivered it 
And so John is just asking with an honest, sincere heart, are you who I think you are? Or do I look for someone else? And Jesus reassures him that all these healings and the preaching of the gospel point to the fact that he is the Son of God. That he is the one that John was called to be a messenger for. And I wonder if someone could look at Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, if someone could, could have that and read that for us. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. So this, the, the work that Jesus is doing here in this passage is kind of a fulfillment of this passage in Isaiah. Much like a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, when we talked about how Jesus went into the synagogue and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to um, bring good news to the poor. You know, th th these are fulfillments of prophecy. And as a prophet, I'm sure that John was at least aware of the prophecy. And so Jesus is saying, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. You can believe me when I say who I am. And I say to you today that you can believe God when, you, when He says who He is. And the Bible says that he who cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek them, seek Him. Another series you'll find if you go on my website is a series that I'm doing at my home church about the Hall of Faith. And you'll see over and over as you study those that these were human beings who believed God, who took Him at His word, and He did great things through them. And sometimes we forget that, that we think that these, these heroes of the faith are something more than human. It's not because of how good they are, but it's because of how great the God they serve is that they are able to do the things that they did. And the same God that they served, we serve. So, be encouraged. I also want to talk about, um, in relation to this, the confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ. Bill Hybels uses this illustration. He says, Sometimes when you're in an airport, observe the difference between passengers who hold confirmed tickets and those that are on standby. The passengers who hold... Okay, the, pas the ones with confirmed tickets read newspapers, chat with their friends, or sleep. The ones on standby hang around the ticket counter, pace and smoke... Smoke and pace. The difference is caused by the confidence factor. If you know that in 15 minutes you would have to stand in judgment before the Holy God and learn your eternal destiny, what would your reaction be? Would you smoke and pace? Would you say to yourself, I don't know what God's going to say? Will it be welcome home child or will it be depart from me? I never knew you. I have stamped my ticket. 
Or rather, God has. He has saved me by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, so I do not have to pace as one on standby. But rather, I can rest and relax and lay down and sleep in peace, knowing that He giveth His beloved sleep, and knowing that whether I sleep or whether I wake, when Jesus comes back, I'll go with Him. I just went to see the movie this week, Left Behind. And whatever you believe about the end of time, the one thing that it makes it clear is that there is coming an end of time. There's coming a time when God will come back and He will begin to make things right. And you want to make sure that you're on the right side when that happens. I would urge you, if you are still on standby and you haven't confirmed your ticket, please do it. Jesus paid for it. That would be like um, like saying, I, I want to go to Florida. I don't have the money to go to Florida. Or, or rather, maybe in my case, Hawaii, because my sister is there. I don't have the money to go to Hawaii, maybe. But someone offers to pay for my ticket to Hawaii, and they say, just go to the airline counter. You'll find your ticket, and then you can go. Well, if I keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, and I never go, and I don't use the ticket, then I won't get there. Well, if you keep putting it off and putting it off and not making your eternal destiny secure in Jesus Christ, then you will never get to heaven. And you will never experience the new heavens and the new earth that God says are coming. To those who love Him, not to the perfect, not to the strong, not to the swift, but to those who are loved and forgiven by Almighty God through Jesus Christ. All right. The next part of our passage is Jesus is going to take some time. He not only encourages John by answering his question, but he affirms that John was not wrong in his questioning by taking a, taking a few moments to praise John for his work and his faith. And some of the things he says about him are pretty amazing, and it's pretty neat that we get to still read them today. So let's look at Luke 7.24. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went you out into the wilderness for to see? A rod shaken in the wind? But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gregariously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy faith, faith which shall prepare thy way for thee. For I say unto you, among them that are born of women, 
Is there not a greater prophet than John the Baptist? But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So, uh, Jesus is saying, of them that are born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. What a testimony. And yet for us who are redeemed, who can experience the salvation of the Lord, even as the least in the kingdom, we, in some measure, can be considered greater than He. What a blessing. Because again, we, we, tend, we tend to think of John as something other than human. Because he's a Bible hero. And yes, there were specific special circumstances having to do with his life. He was filled with the Holy Spirit as a baby, and generally that doesn't happen. We read in Luke chapter 1 that when Mary entered the house of Elizabeth, the babe leaped in her womb. So he, he already knew as an infant his place and his responsibility. And he kind of talks about in this passage too the, the sacrifices that John made for the kingdom. Because he's saying, you know, you, uh, you might look for someone who's well-dressed, who's in a king's court, because of course... He's testifying for a king. But much like Jesus, who came into this world on a, on a uh, dark night, in a place where animals were feeding, and was visited not by uh, royalty, but by shepherds, much like that, John the Baptist goes into the wilderness, and he dresses roughly, and he's not afraid to say things that will be controversial because saying the right thing is more important than saying the popular thing. And, and Jesus is saying, this is the type of person who can be great in God's kingdom. Remember, uh, a close parallel to this is, is how Jesus, when He chose His disciples, He didn't choose the learned among them. And part of this, I'm sure, was because some people felt like they knew so much that they didn't need God. But what he chose was a ragtag band of fishermen, tax collectors. He chose um, one... Uh, guy that had previously been a revolutionary fighting in his own power against the Roman government, Simon the Zealot. He took all these people and he put them together into his closest advisors. And then among those, he chose Peter, James, and John for an inner circle of sorts. But for all of these, save Judas, they all went on to serve him until 
their deaths. And most of them died a martyr's death, many of them being crucified. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't believe that he was worthy to die in the same way that his Lord had. And tradition tells us that he watched his wife die before he did. These are the sacrifices that people have made for the cross. And people are still doing it. Uh, the International, I think it's the International Center for Humanitarian Aid, in a recent survey, said that seven to 8,000 people die each year for the gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide. <coughs> We have many brothers and sisters in foreign lands. Even in the place where ISIS is now wreaking havoc. There are brothers and sisters. There are brothers and sisters among the Israelites. There are brothers and sisters among the Arabs. And they all need our prayers. And it may come to a point where God tells us that we need to give our lives for Him. And often I, I feel unready. But I feel like just as, G, as Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, a specific dose for when he stood up in Acts chapter 3 and 4 and told the truth about the lame man, I feel in the same way that if the time comes for me to choose between Christ and the world in a public manner, that God would infuse me with such grace. And that instead of praying to be released from persecution, that I would pray for more boldness. Joseph Stoll says this, I think of David Livingstone, the pioneer missionary to Africa, who walked over 29,000 miles. His wife died early in their ministry, and he faced stiff opposition from his Scottish brethren. He ministered half-blind. His kind of perseverance spurs me on. As I run, I remember the words in his diary. Send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever me from any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. May we have a similar prayer before God. My hope is that this message will stir you to ask yourself, as I ask myself, what more do you want me to be doing for the kingdom? And it is, it can be, um, it can be tricky because we are to be wise as servants and gentle as doves. So we can't um, always come down with the harshest criticisms possible and we have to check our words at times. And we have to make sure above all that our actions line up with our words because the world is great at sniffing out hypocrites and you know I try to tell people that 
We've all been hypocrites at one point or another. None of us are perfect. The tenets of true Christianity are not that we are perfect, but that we are forgiven and that we are trying to strive toward holiness more and more every day. Okay. So our third section of our passage today is in uh, Luke 7, 29-35. And here Jesus is going to rebuke the Pharisees. Something he did an awful lot because even though they were the religious and the uh, governmental leaders of the people, they had um, very thick skulls as do some of us at times. And they had difficulty with a lot of what Jesus said. Because they missed that the point of the law was to point to Jesus Christ. Remember, um, they would often tell Jesus, we are Abraham's children. Or they, and he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. And then they would say, well, we're Moses' children. And he says, Moses spoke of me. But they did not get that. They did not grasp it. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 29. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyer rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And the Lord said, Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like the children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We have piped for you, and you, did not da- you have not danced. We have mourned for you, and you have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread, nor drinking wine, and you say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. And Jesus is is laying out here uh, a juxtaposition. He says, when you look at John and he's not eating, you you say to uh, you say to the people around you, he's evil. When you see me eating and enjoying my time with the common people, you say that I am an alcoholic and a friend of sinners. I love the way the the Pharisees thought in a, in a, in a in a sarcastic way I say that. Because they would often say things like this. You know, they would say they said to the man born blind who was healed, they said, You seek to teach us and yet you are a sinner. And then Jesus is saying here, you're saying that I'm a sinner because I eat with sinners. And you say that John is a sinner because he didn't eat, because he separated himself. So, either way, you are condemning us because we don't fit into your mold of what you think the truth is. 
instead of looking at what the Word says, instead of realizing from the book of 1 Samuel, which they had in their possession, that the Lord looks on the heart, instead of realizing that Abraham had believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness, instead of realizing that it's not the prayers, the words that God wants to hear, but the relationship that He wants to have, these people were determined to go their own way and not to accept anything that was counter of that. They put their beliefs and their thoughts and their way of doing things above our Lord. And um, in uh, Matthew 21, 31 and 32, it says, talking about, actually I'll, I'll back up, and it says, uh, in 28, Matthew 21, 28, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came unto the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not, but afterwards repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered, Sir, I go. And he went not. Whither of the twain did the will of his father? They say unto him the first, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when you had seen it, repented not afterwards that you might believe it. You see, Jesus never never uh, justifies what the publicans and sinners are doing. And I think sometimes, even as Christians, we can kind of fall into this trap of love means that I should just let them uh, live their lives, never say anything about it. We say love the sinner, hate the sin. But too often it causes us to be quiet about it. When God gives us the responsibility to make things right in our own life and then use, after we've, been made, after we've gotten right with God, to help other people get right with God. And Jesus, Jesus is basically saying, these guys, these publicans and these sinners, they're going to get to the kingdom of heaven before you because they understand that they couldn't. The best way to get to heaven is to first understand that you can't. And then understand that there's someone who can take you there. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And there's just a quote that I want to share from Frederick Bachner. I don't know a whole lot about him. But I love this quote. 
says the trouble oftentimes with religious people is that they try to be more spiritual than God Himself. Jesus wants us to be holy. He wants us to do the right thing. But it's not because he wants us to check off a list of things and say, we did thus and so. It's because he wants to be able to have a relationship with us that is such that we look at the commands of Christ and we see that it's not out of drudgery, it's not out of a way to shame us that He gives us those commands. It's because He loves us. Because He wants us to be in a right relationship with Him. Why is marriage so important to God? It's important to God because families are the foundation of society. And as the families of our society are strong, our society as a whole will be strong. Why is marriage between one man and one woman? Because God said, I made them male and female together, and I caused that they would leave their father and mother and be joined together and be one flesh to raise up the seed of many godly generations. Because God knew what He was doing. And I am thankful that my parents have been married for 36 years and have modeled a godly marriage to me. Not a perfect marriage, but a godly marriage. One where you, where you don't get out because the going is tough. One where you drop to your knees and you cry out to God when there's no other answer. I watched my parents struggle so much with the death of my brother in 1992. And I was pretty hopeless at that time as well. But what could have tore them apart instead drew them together. Because they leaned on each other as they leaned on God. You see, what God wants is not people that follow the letter of the law so that they can say, look what I did. He wants people that follow His rules because they love Him and they want to do what pleases Him. And ultimately, that will bring blessing. The Bible says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and He addeth no sorrow with it. You know, there's a lot of rich people out there today who are so full of sorrow. You know, sometimes I'll be watching a, even a classic TV show that's pretty good, and I'll look up the people that were in it, and many of them were married three and four times. And maybe they had drug problems or alcohol problems or whatever. Why? Because 
none of the earth's things will fill the void left by God when God's not there. Yes, God gives us things on earth to richly enjoy. He gives us marriage. He even gives us money, some more than others, to use in a godly way. But it's only as you seek first the kingdom of God that the other things can fall into place and can be a godly thing. The Bible says that he who findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. But we cannot rely on any human being to totally fulfill us. And only as we are fulfilled in Almighty God can we seek to offer any sense of fulfillment to our human relationships. I just want to encourage you. Because if you know today that you can't make it to heaven yourself, then you're on the right track. So the next question is, Have you figured out how? Have you made the decision to follow Christ? Or are you still on standby? Right now, there's still room. But there's coming a day when standby will no longer be available. And I hope that you all make your salvation sure today. It says in Romans chapter 10, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A true and earnest prayer to the Lord is the start of a lifelong relationship. And it's the start of eternal life. We think about eternal life a lot of times as, as starting later. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I don't think he was talking about waiting until he comes back. I've had my struggles. But I am living an abundant life because I know that I have a purpose for this life that goes beyond what is seen to that which is not seen. And that's why I preach. So that I can persuade men to follow Christ so that they can experience the blessing that I have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for um, the fact that it is so prevalent to us today. Lord, we pray that we would be as the publicans and the sinners. That we would realize our sin, realize that we don't have a way to make ourselves good enough. Realize that whenever we start to think we're good enough, you will pull us back and remind us. But that with that reminder comes your grace. For you know our frame, you remember that we are dust. And you love us. 
And Lord, we will never fully comprehend that love, but we will spend all eternity enjoying it and seeking to do so. We ask that you would bless those here. I ask that you would go with them, that your face would shine down upon them, and that you would give them peace throughout this week. That they would be an example to the, to the believer and to the unbeliever. In Jesus' name.